This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the stand with Amy Dunphy. Now in Britain today, there are rail strikes, there are bus strikes in London. Tube workers have walked off their jobs and all over the country there is industrial strife. The Minister for Transport, Grant Shapps, is, as he puts it himself, standing strong against the unions. And, of course, they're being led, the transport unions, many of them by a man called Mick Lynch, who is becoming something of a hero for many people in Britain who want this government to be stood up to, if I can put it in that way. And of course, through all of this, Britain has in fact a zombie government, it appears. The Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, has gone on holiday. And while the two people seeking to replace him, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, who were incidentally in Belfast on Wednesday, there are 600 Tory members in the north of Ireland, while they continue their, shall we say, debates as to who should be the next Prime Minister, Britain appears to be really in a bad place. And we're joined now from London by Chris Johns. Chris is former chief economist of the Bank of Ireland and now a very popular and respected commentator. Chris, it's hard to look at Britain and not feel sorry for the people and also to feel that it's a country that has seriously lost its way. And, you know, there are consequences for us here because this trust in particular would pose a deadly threat to the peace we have in this country from some of her rhetoric and her opinions. How are you getting on over there? <laughs> I'm fine, thank you. But uh, I only, can only say that, I think, when um, I try not to think about all of this stuff. Because like a lot of my friends, acquaintances and colleagues over here, whenever the conversation turns to these matters, um, looks of despair come across people's faces. And yes. I get asked lots of questions because uh, uh, people sometimes think that I might know something about this stuff. And I'm having to say, actually, no, um, this has gone beyond surreal. It's gone beyond bizarre. Um, you mentioned the phrase zombie government. We have, as far as I can tell, no government at all at the moment. Whenever an actual policy question is posed to the government about anything these days, it's always, well, it, it used to be wait for Sue Gray's report. Now it's wait for the new <laughs> prime minister. Um, and nothing, it's it's the summer, it's August. These sorts of things often happen at this time of year, but it's really on, on steroids at the moment. And people, certainly, I, I don't speak to every single person in the UK, but a lot of people that I do speak with are very fearful about the future. 
Yes. And um, that's an anecdote. But in terms of pure data, some numbers were out this morning um, asking people about their cons consumer confidence. And this is a series that goes back over 50 years. And it was the worst number in, in this series history. So from both anecdote to data, I think people are very nervous. Some are very fearful. Some are very conscious that we do have this weird situation where the number one problem facing people is, uh, in general, the cost of living crisis, and in particular, the cost of energy. And the people vying to be the next prime minister, um, that's the, the one subject that they don't really want to talk about at all. Um, you mentioned Boris Johnson going on holiday. I think he's actually gone on holiday twice this he summer. He has, yes. This is his second holiday. I forgot to mention yesterday that the inflation figure came out at 10.1%, and uh, the government of the Bank of England believes it will peak at around 13% in the not-too-distant future. I mean, that really is off the charts. That's the cost of living crisis. And yes. it, it's linked to what you were saying about the railway strikes in a particular way that I think is worth just mentioning. Because comparisons between Britain now and Britain in the 1970s are often made, particularly with respect to inflation. That was the last time, the last era of high yes. inflation in the UK. And people are saying that, oh, it's beginning to feel a lot like that. But from the point of view of the ordinary worker, the ordinary citizen, all the way up to very ordinary middle class people, it is very different in one key respect. Back then, um, wages were running ahead of the inflation rate. Yes. And so people weren't experiencing these generational cuts in living standards that are being experienced today. Today, inflation is way ahead. It's multiples of the typical wage settlement. Back yeah. then, it was it was wages were running ahead of, of inflation. It was a very although the end result was inflation, it was a very different underlying economic environment and a very different underlying economic environment for ordinary people like railway workers who are suffering um, the cuts in real wages, real incomes, therefore real living standards in a way that um, very few of us have ever experienced. So that's why. There is a sense that um, there's, there's, there's social tensions as well as political tensions because uh, I talked about earlier on, I mentioned the energy crisis, which affects all economies. It, it, it is affecting you and I. And I know every week that you see headlines about the ESB putting their prices up and similar companies. We do it slightly differently here in the UK and it, it, it doesn't go up. Um, it goes and it goes up twice a year. We're about to go into a four, four times a year cycle but the, the, on current energy prices, things may change. As you may know, Eamon, the projections for next year, 2023, for the average household, is that we will be spending for our gas and electricity just at just over £5,000. Yes. That's getting on for €6,000. And you, you, again, in, in terms of the numbers, as an economist, I can tell you, I know what the number for the average, sorry, the mean or, uh, household income in the UK is £31,000. You've got to find £5,000 out of that. That is um, a can't-pay-won't-pay pay situation. That, that will lead to people be being unable to pay, unwilling to pay, and it will cause chaos. Something will have to be done is the, is the widely held view. It's the most important issue facing the country, and yet both candidates are saying nothing about it. So we have no idea what they are. We know they're going to do something, whoever it, when Liz Truss wins this contest, and she will win, we have no idea what she's going to do. And she keeps saying she's not going to do anything apart from cut taxes. But we know that one of the first things she's going to do is she's going to do something about this, the first U-turn 
will be about energy because she has to. Otherwise, there is going to be the, the economic problems are one thing, but I worry about the social and political consequences of this this simple fact that um, people haven't got five thousand pounds. No, and there is talk of a general strike. I saw it this week for the first time I, that, that I can remember, even back in the 70s when I lived in Britain, there was no talk of a general strike. In fact, as you point out, the union barons, as they were called, they were deemed to be running the country along with a, a compliant Labour government. This is a very different situation. Liz Truss, Chris, She's going to offer people tax cuts, but she's going to stand, stand strong and try and imitate Margaret Thatcher. However, the circumstances she faces are vastly different, as you just pointed out, from the circumstances facing Margaret Thatcher. She is a troubling figure. When she talks about the Northern Ireland Protocol, for example, it is patently clear that she doesn't know what she's talking about at all. And yet, as Foreign Secretary, she's the person who drafted legislation that is now going through the Houses of Commons, um, our Parliament rather, that will have a serious effect on the relationship between Europe and the UK. And it will be a seriously bad relationship from Britain's point of view, outcome being, you know, even more trouble between uh, perhaps a trade war between Britain and Europe. And every sort of phrase that comes out of her mouth is an attack on somebody, whether it's an attack on her own people, who she accused this week, or in a piece of audio that emerged, of not being willing to graft. But she's, she's attacking all around her. She looks like a complete and utter fool. Well, some uh, enterprising journalists, there are one or two left, have tracked down some of her old Oxford tutors. She is, yeah. like most of the elite in this country, um, an Oxford graduate. Uh, she did, like most of them, politics, philosophy, and economics, PPE. Yeah. And uh, they, they've, they've found somebody that, would, that taught her during this time and asked them, what was she like as, as an undergraduate? Which, and she was bright, definitely an intelligent woman. And this is the peculiarity about her was was that when, when in the Oxford system you write essays and then you discuss your essays with your fellow students and your tutor in small tutorials, and they said the peculiar thing about her was that she would sit there and we'd discuss her essay, and so far so good. She would strike a very strong extreme position on whatever subject that we were discussing, and that's fine. That's what we encourage people to have strong views. And then when we pointed out to her that the extreme views that she had in her essay were completely and utterly wrong, and we cited chapter and verse and all the facts about why she was completely wrong. The unusual thing about her was that she absolutely stuck to her original position and yes. could not be diverted from the extreme position, whatever it was that she'd, she'd taken up. And I think that behavior, the reason why people have commented on that um, recently, is, is, is typical of how she is at the moment. One of the things that I think is, is, is obvious to ask at this point in any electoral cycle, whether it's this peculiar one, which is the Conservative members electing the next Prime Minister, or indeed a general election, is how different will the people who eventually get elected, how differently will they govern compared to how they campaigned? There's the old cliche about yeah. campaigning in poetry and governing in prose. And there's lots of commentary at type analysis on how much Liz Truss will moderate in office, how much she will 
uh, resile, come back from these extreme positions that she has taken all her life, not just um, recently, but in the context of being the next prime minister, what she's been saying on the campaign trail. And people who purport to know her, uh, people who I would respect in terms of their analytical capabilities are saying she's not going to moderate at all. Um, yeah. Not at all. Because A, because she never has done in the past, and B, because I think this is the really interesting part as well. She's no room for manoeuvre because she's given too many uh, commitments to people like, believe it or not, it is said that Suella Braverman, the Attorney General, uh, in exchange for her support for trust, has been promised the job of Home Secretary, Priti Patel's current job. And um, Suella Braverman is utterly unqualified to be Home Secretary, in my opinion. Um, but that's the sort of backroom dealing that's been going on. It is rumoured that somebody called Kwasi Kwarteng has been offered the job of yes. Chancellor. He's now, an old Etonian. Another old Is Kwasi. Yes, that's right. Um, again, part of this hyper-educated um, after-dinner speaker uh, set. Uh, he's a bright man. I mean, these people, don't ever underestimate the fact that these people do have a brain, but um, they're all examples of how even intelligent people can reach very extremist conclusions about all sorts of things in their head and be extremely right-wing. And that's what all of these people are, he included. I mean, this guy has written books. He's written three history books. Um, and uh, we know a lot about what he thinks from, from both his speeches and, and his writings. And um, he's just another hyper-educated right-wing nutcase, in, in my opinion. Yeah. But um, he is probably, possibly going to be the, ne the next chancellor. Um, the, the, the thing where, one of the things that people are trying to do, of course, is figure out where all these people are going to fall out, as they inevitably do historically and probably will do over the next two years. And one of the key differences between Kuateng and Truss is going to be over foreign policy. She's a big China hawk, really, really, really big China hawk, which is why somebody like Tom Tugendhat, which is, who's somebody you and I have talked about before as being a half-decent Tory, if such a thing exists. I don't know, but he's, he, he's, he's rolled in behind yeah. Liz, I'm afraid. And, and the charitable interpretation of Tom Tugendhat rowing in behind Liz is because of the China hawk policy. The less-than-charitable interpretation is that, like so many of them, um, and many of them have lined up to support Trust as soon as it became obvious that she was going to win, and they've you know, sold their souls as these people often do. So uh, I think that um, the upshot of all of that is that from both the deals that she's done to get to where she is, her own personality of never backing down um, means that she has no room for maneuver. So I think the um, Northern Ireland protocol that you mentioned is now done. I think it's going to be passed um, finally when it goes to its final stages in the British Parliament. Um, she then has the choice of whether or not to pull its levers, push its buttons. And uh, the only room for Nubish I think she's got is that she's going to have to trigger its provisions and junk the protocol, which will then ultimately trigger the trade war. I think that's given now uh, from all that we know. The only room for Nubish she's got is, is how long she takes to do it. So she might try to long finger it, but, but Eamon is coming. Yes, the, the, there's a couple of questions one in particular about whether Britain, in its present state of its economy and indeed of its society, could afford to wage a trade war. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let me ask you about the method of choosing the next prime minister without going to the people. That 160,000 Tory members effectively choose the prime minister this happened with Johnson, who subsequently won an election, of course. It happened with Theresa May. Is this the way to go? Or, you know, constitutionally, I know you don't have a written constitution, but is it, is it a safe way to decide these matters? Because Sunak has looked as if he's off his trolley, and she's looked as if she's off her trolley in some of the things they're saying. There's no comparison between his probably more expert view of what Britain should do to help with the economic crisis and what he wants to do. In fact, they're completely opposite. He appears to know more about economic matters than she does, but I'm not sure. What I am sure of is that I think the people of a country should decide who should, the prime minister should be rather than a very, very small and unrepresentative group of people such as the Tory membership. We don't know very much about them. We don't even know what the number is to any degree of precision. That estimate of 150, 160,000 is just a guess on the part of pollsters. Um, and the Tory party don't say very much about the, the way in which the, the demographic of their memberships um, ends up. But people have tried to find out. The average age is, we think, about 57. They are 97% white. Um, so uh, immediately you begin to get a picture of being old, a particular type of ethnicity. South uh, of England? They tend, well, they, they tend to be more um, country than city. 
yeah. which is and they 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 reflect a particular type of individual in the UK. You will you will meet these. I mean, this is going to sound very condescending, if not pejorative, <laughs> but you're going to meet them in the golf club. You're not going to meet them in the in the pub downtown. Um, no. So that's that's the type, and and they. Uh, their own vested interest to which she has appealed with her rhetoric over tax cuts is is that um, they typically are taxpayers because they would either be people with reasonably high incomes, more, well, certainly higher than average incomes in the UK if they're in work. A lot of them will be retired with very decent pensions. So tax cuts would, would certainly appeal to them. The I would be tempted to say that she's made a lot of promises about tax cuts that she's un- she will be unable to keep because of the economic constraints that will be upon her. But she appears to be so ideologically committed, and given that history that I spoke to, spoke about, w- when she makes a commitment, she sticks to it, which in some ways I suppose is an admirable quality. But when does stubbornness become idiotic? I'm not quite sure. But there, there is a line there that I think will be crossed. She does fly in the face of economics. She took, the, for example, the tax cuts that she is promising is based on a supposed room f- budgetary room for maneuver thing that goes all the way back to last March when the, the budgetary watchdog here in the UK, it's called the OBR, said that there was some fiscal headroom in the year ahead of about 30 billion. And so she's latched on to that and said, that's what I'm going to use. It's disappeared since then. If you reran the numbers, which they're not allowing the OBR to do, um, it wouldn't be there anymore. So there's all these smoke and mirrors around fiscal policy, but there, she she doesn't have the fiscal room for manoeuvre that she thinks she does. So the worry as an economist that all economists have at the moment is that she's just going to completely blow the budget deficit again with this big tax-cutting experiment. So there, there, there are all sorts of concerns about what she's up to. But overarching above all of that is that this has got absolutely not all this debate about tax cuts room for maneuver can she do it will it come off will it not come off all will it just add to inflation ignores the underlying problem which is inflation and the the the, the very very acute dilemma facing all households other than the very very rich and i keep coming back to that because this is the one thing that they will not talk about now the labor party in this equation this week they finally came out with some proposals about inflation and about how they might deal with it. Do they offer the British public a credible alternative government? The, the, the soundbite that I've seen this week that uh, I think kind of sort of answers this question is don't underestimate Liz Truss, but don't overestimate Keir Starmer. And he's still yet to offer a credible uh, economic and political strategy for Labour that has ca- any yeah. resonance with with the with the people at all. I think he's been pursuing that Napoleonic "just do nothing while your enemy is making mistakes" strategy at the moment, which yes. is fine. Um, and I think we can applaud that because th- the reason why the Conservatives are behind in the polls is a because of Johnson and b because of this absence of government and the energy crisis, the inflation problem that we've spoken about. But sooner or later, he's going to have to come up with something coherent rather than the um, mess, quite frankly, that the Labour Party has presented. And, it, you know, he writes 14,000-word essays about policy that nobody reads, that nobody really understands. And I think one of, his key, um, one of his key problems is that he has very little knowledge of and very little interest in economic policy. Uh, I, I think that that's his key problem. And it's on the economy that I think the next two years, in the run-up to the next general election, all of this is going to turn. 
because, yeah. because of this zero-growth, high-inflation economy that we've got. Can I ask you a question about the economy? I mean, it was, I think, Tony Blair who gave, and Gordon Brown, when he was Chancellor, who gave the Bank of England the responsibility for setting interest rates. Am I right? Yes, it was Gordon Brown, 1997. And there's talk now, I think Liz Truss is the one talking about it, taking that power away from the Bank of England and restoring it to the Chancellor, who will be quasi-quatang, we are told. Yeah, if if she does that, that would be disastrous, because the one thing that would flow from that, I'm going to do something now that I always say I never do, and make make a forecast. The one thing that would flow from that immediately, not just the next day, the moment it happened would be sterling. The pound would collapse. Yes, um, and yes. that was that would that would merely add to the inflation problem because that just raises the price of imports. Yes. and the new chancellor would be under extreme pressure to put interest rates up to protect the pound. So I think that it would be insane for her to do that. Um, I'm not going to rule it out. I I do think it's unlikely. I suspect that she. This is one area that she will long figure. She'll set up a parliamentary. Uh, inquiry or commission into what the new mandate for the Bank right. of England should be. And so, yes, she's going to have a look at the Bank of England, but she's playing with fire. She really is. The other question, uh, and it's critical, Chris, is the relationship with the European Union, of which we are a part. It won't only concern the Northern Ireland Protocol and this legislation that they're going to pass which is actually which breaches the agreement that they've made with Europe, which inevitably will lead to reprisals from Europe. Britain it doesn't appear to be in any state or with the capacity to fight a trade war because at the moment the, the consequences of Brexit for the British economy are very serious in terms of labour market and all of that stuff. Yeah, Britain has and indeed the pound. Britain has the highest rate of inflation in the G seven. Yeah. And one of the highest, there aren't too many countries out there with double-digit rates of inflation. And in, interestingly, in countries like um, Ireland even, but the United States in particular, the most recent inflation data, while still troubling, wasn't a big shock. It actually came in a little bit less than people um, who forecast these things were expecting. The inflation data in the UK were worse than expected, were higher than the experts said it was going to be. We knew it was going to be bad. We just didn't know it was going to be that bad. So why is there this difference emerging between Britain and other developed economies? And the answer, the short answer is Brexit. Uh, The longer answer is deep structural issues um, that go beyond Brexit, because the answer is always more complicated than a single word answer. But Brexit uh, the Institute for International Economics in Washington um, has said that 80% of the difference between Britain's inflation rate and, the rest, and its partners is due to Brexit. So just don't take my right. word for it. Other people say it. And so, but this is, this is one of the ways in which the debate is surreal, Eamon, because you're not allowed, if you do say that, then everybody says, oh, you're just a Remainer. I mean, you're yes. just, and so it's very tribal. Yeah. Well, Liz Truss, I, I don't need to point out to people who pay attention to current affairs, Liz Truss was a committed Remainer. Absolutely. She was a committed Liberal Democrat while at that yes. Oxford University. Um, and so she has been on, shall we say, an intellectual journey um, over the last number of years. Um, she's, reaching, she's reaching the terminus. Yeah. 
I, I think she's going to have to make a decision when she gets to Downing Street, is she, is she not? All of these things that she's been wrong about, if she goes into 10 Downing Street with the same attitude, and you've articulated it very well in terms of her, let's call it convictions, other people would call it stubbornness. If she goes in with that sort of, and one of the things she, she said to have modeled herself on Margaret Thatcher, Margaret Thatcher was an extremely pragmatic politician. It's often forgotten. This woman doesn't appear to be. Absolutely. And if, if you, if, well, I, I was alive during the Thatcher era. I lived in her constituency, actually. So, and was able to observe. Finchley. Finchley, yeah. I lived yes, in Finchley. She said, and she said Northern Ireland was as British as Finchley. Absolutely. And one of the things about Thatcher is that she talked a good game and was very, very direct in her speech. But then when you watched what she actually yes. did, she proceeded very, very cautiously. She was elected in 1979 on a program of included many things, but it did include, a la trust, tax cuts. They didn't cut taxes in the UK until, the, so she's elected in 79. They didn't actually have a tax-cutting budget until 1987. Wow. And yeah. they spent the next seven or eight years getting ready, proceeding cautiously, getting the economy ready, getting the public finances ready for the big Thatcher tax cuts. This trust has promised that the day she's elected, she's going to do tax cuts. It's a very, very different approach. Thatcher spoke radically and eventually did do one or two radical things, but really took her time, really took her time. The, the fight that she picked with the unions, they took years preparing yes. for it. They didn't just do it overnight. They thought both tax, whatever you thought about their strategy, it was very well thought out. It was, and Arthur Scargill was the the man they chose to fight at the at the appropriate moment. Yes, Mr. Scargill, who led the miners, had seen off Ted Heath, but that wasn't going to happen to Margaret Thatcher, and that was one of her great victories. And it, as you say, it was strategically very very smart. Uh, and. So what, what we don't think is that there's much thinking going on behind the economics of, um, frankly, both of them. But it, it trust is the only person that matters because she, she is, at the moment, at least a shoe-in for, for this. You asked about, earlier on, this process, and I talked about the demographic of the yes. Conservative Party. The one thing, of course, it isn't is democratic. I mean, no. it, 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 it's certainly unsafe from a whole host of perspectives, but it, democracy it ain't. And, and that, that's the, the, the main answer I would give to that question, which raises the possibility that if you were um, Liz Truss and you saw the Bank of England's forecasts for the next two years for the economy, if you saw anybody's forecasts for the next two years for the economy, if you just think about all of the things that you and I have just been spoken about, from a point of view of electoral, political strategy, what chance do you have of winning a general election in two years' time compared to winning one say, in October. Um, I think that she, she's actually ruled it out explicitly, but then so did Theresa May. Um, uh, but I would have thought that the best advice that you could give somebody like this trust is get elected, cut those taxes so you have a bit of a glow from the, the people that like that sort of thing and go to the country in October. Because there's no way, no way, with that kind of economic background that the Bank of England has painted, that you're going to win anything in two years' time. Just a final question, Chris. I don't know if you're old enough to remember in the 70s when Britain was described as the sick man of Europe. 
because of its failures in industrial relations and all kinds of things. It does appear now when you look not just across Europe, but let's just settle for Europe. It is the sick and dangerous man of Europe, particularly from our own Irish perspective here. Yeah, every country has issues. Every country has problems. And we we know, for example, um, we've talked about Ireland um, and other countries. But you and I, quite separately, I hasten to add, have spent um, considerable amounts of time over the years in France. And I've yes. spent, spent quite, I have spent quite a lot of time there this year. And for all of France's problems, of which it has many, not least in its political sphere, it is a country that works. You can yes. get things done. Things happen in a way that they are supposed to happen, whether you're dealing with public utilities, the local authority, or whatever. One of the things that people speak to me a lot about, and increasingly so in the UK, and it's something I see in my own daily life, is that nothing works anymore, Eamon. Yes. Whatever it is that you want to do, yes. uh, contact your local council, contact your bank, your, your, your GP, your GP, whatever it is that you try to achieve, you have to allocate a day. You have to build yourself up to it, and you know that it's not on your, you know, it's not going to happen. Whatever yes. it is that you want to do, and it, that's both interaction with the, both the public and the private sector, yes. and it's a growing feeling, growing impression for which there is quite a lot of data. Look at the behaviour of the water companies. We yes. have. Uh, hose pipe bans all over in lots of different places in England and Wales. Um, this uh, uh, right now, um, in a country where there is more than enough rainfall throughout every twelve month period, if it was stored properly, and so a water utility. If you want, have to be an executive of a water utility, do you have to display any entrepreneurial flair? No. Do you have to take any risks? No. Do you have to do anything? particularly sophisticated with respect to your balance sheet and all of those fancy financial things that investment bankers at Goldman Sachs have to do? No. But do you pay yourself three million pounds a year? Yes, Yes, you do. And this is what they pay themselves, Eamon. And it's a particular example of a generalized problem throughout the economy of people. um, uh, In economics, they're called rentiers. We have rentier capitalism in the UK and very little creative capitalism. And it's a real problem. Um, and you can see the, the, the way in which things are being degraded gradually, day after day, in the way that I just described. And people are getting very nervous about it. Okay, Chris, it's a pleasure to talk to you, as always. We're very grateful to Chris Johns, and we know that all our listeners are too. Thank you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.